Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we have this opportunity through the manifest presence of thy grace to gather in thy house this afternoon hour to worship you. We know that we are imperfect. We know that uh, we do not see clearly. But what a comfort it is to know that we can come into the presence of the living God in a special way who knows, who sees all things, and furthermore, who loves us and gave even his own son that we might be thy children, unworthy though we are. Heavenly Father, we want to lift up in prayer unto thee all those who are going through difficulties right now, those that are dealing with chronic illness, those that have this uh, virus, even those that we know from uh, our church circles. Please also be with those that are um, struggling with the loss of loved ones and perhaps other issues that we're not even aware of. Heavenly Father, let us all take comfort in the fact that thou is hearing your prayer already. That every situation is intimately known by thee. And that thou art using every situation, every circumstance, to bring about thy will, both for us and for thy glory. Help us to take comfort in this fact and be with us now as we apply thy word together. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. I'm going to do something I have not done for a while, uh, which is just simply open the word of the Lord. Um, it's not a, it's a, not been a conscious um, decision on my part, but uh, I... I, I think it is good that when we do not feel a, uh, a firm leading of the Lord in the direction of a particular scripture, that we simply leave it up to him. Because, of course, I cannot know the needs of each one gathered here. And so I will trust that the Lord will lead us with a portion from his word, and that together we will be refreshed by it. The word of the Lord is open to the ninth chapter of John. I honor myself, my honor is nothing. 
It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself, and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Chapter 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day, when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Asked them, saying, Is this your son whom ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. 
these words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, here is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If he were blind, he should have no sin. But now he say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. I've read to the end of the ninth chapter. We've been talking and looking a lot at prophecy lately. And I confess I have no expert in the realm of prophecy. The reason why is I'm very unsure. I've heard explanations for prophecies in the past that sounded very, very convincing to me and did not come to pass. And with a little bit of imagination, I can go back even further say, to the days of the Second World War, and see how it must have seemed that prophecy was being fulfilled right before their eyes. And to some measure, of course, it was. We know some of the prophecies that came out of that. But then, to see it all come apart. One of my favorite preachers, you've heard me mention his name before, is uh, Mr. Tozer. And I have a lot of his sermons in MP3 format that I listen to from time to time, and I like to listen to him because he makes me think about God. And one of the things that he said in the 1950s was, there seemed to be a, an awful lot of 
experts on prophecy in those war years. But they dried up pretty fast after the war was over. And that's not to say we shouldn't look into prophecy or even try to think or figure out how this may fit. I'm not saying that by any means, so please don't misquote me. But there's so little I, I, I can say with certainty about a lot of that that I find it such a joy and, and, and a refreshment after looking at prophecy to come back to the words of Jesus, to the accounts of his life. And there I feel it all. There I can put myself in the sandals of those disciples with dusty feet listening in on the words of the Master. There I can imagine clearly what it must have been like to be there, to hear the things that he said. I began reading in the 8th chapter because it begins with a discourse that immediately follows, the, the, or immediately precedes, I should say, the ninth chapter. It's the 8th chapter ends, and so passed by, and then ninth chapter, the ninth chapter says, and as Jesus passed by, it just picks right up where he left off. So we can see what was going into this, and I see something else in here, perhaps, that with the Lord's help, I'd like to draw our attention to this afternoon. The Jews wanted to know who this young rabbi was. They wanted to know where he was from. They wanted to understand his angle. I think initially, the Pharisees were excited about this, this young uh, traveling preacher who was able to put the Sadducees to silence. They probably figured that he could be, with a little bit of polishing up and a bit of formal education, he could turn him into a real outstanding rabbi on our side. It was pretty heated, some of the exchanges. You remember Paul, when he was standing before the council, and he said, it's because of the resurrection of the dead I brought before you this day. And the, the scribes that were from each part, they rose up and they started having a brawl, a fist fight, right in the middle of the council chamber. But the will of God will not be subverted by men. And so when the Pharisees figured that they couldn't use him, then they tried to destroy him. They accused him of all sorts of things. They accused him of being a Samaritan, a half-breed, a Jew in sort of name only. They accused him of being demon-possessed, of being a devil, having a devil. And so Jesus lays the record straight. He explains where his honor comes from and how Abraham rejoiced to see his day that they missed. The irony of the moment, Jesus standing in the middle of the temple that was supposed to be dedicated to the one true God, Yahweh God. And God come in the flesh didn't have a place there. Amazing. It's interesting to see the responses. The Jews said unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saints, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? 
Did they forget Jesus' answer to the Sadducees? When he, he gave them one of the most obvious portions in Scripture, and he said to them, Don't you remember what God said to Moses out of the burning bush? He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. They thought that was a good line at the time, but they seemed to have forgotten it here. Now they say Abraham's dead and the prophets are dead. Are they? The world puts a period after a man's name when he passes. God never does. All live unto him, Scripture tells us. The only death that really matters is the one that we read about in Revelation, and we're getting there with our, our weekly Bible studies. It's called the second death. And ironically, it's actually a resurrection. And you don't want to be part of that. To be brought back to life only to be separated completely and irreversibly from the presence of life, love, happiness, the Almighty God Himself. That is a scary state. And that really is the only death ultimately that matters. Christ Himself said, Don't fear them that can kill the body only. But fear him who, after he has killed the body, can cast the soul into hellfire. I say unto you, fear ye him. Jesus said his father honors him. And then he continues on into this, this account of this man who was born blind. And I see in this passage that we read together something very contemporary. I see how the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, is staking his honor, his honor, on those of us that were blind and have been made to see. He said, it's my Father that honors me, and it was the work of his Father that honored him. And for those of us that claim the name of Christ, we are the proof to a blind world that Christ is who he said he was. I want to draw your attention to something we read at the end of the chapter. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Stop and think about that for a moment. Jesus is telling us there's only two classes of people here below. Those that are blind and those that see. But the irony is that the ones who don't see, the ones that are born blind, are going to see. And the ones who think they see will be made blind. You've heard me say it before, I think. Unbelief is not a mental deficiency 
is not a problem of the mind. Unbelief is just another name for spiritual blindness. For saying, I think I see, and in fact, being confirmed in your blindness because you claim sight. The Jewish scholars didn't know what to do with this man who was born blind. Even the way they cross-examined him, you know, it's, it's interesting to see people, people haven't changed. This kind of a leading question. They, they called in his parents. Is this your son whom he say was born blind? How then does he now see? As if they're trying to exploit an angle that maybe this son of theirs wasn't really blind to begin with. Maybe they've been using him as a way of getting charity for people begging there at the temple gate. Maybe they were just some sort of freeloaders. Foolish. It took this simple blind man to point out the basic truths of who God really was. And they, with all their learning, couldn't accept it. I'm now past the midpoint of life, most likely. And one of the advantages of that is the perspective we gain from looking back. One of the things I've realized is that there's a lot that I will not know. I heard it said once, even to be well-read, to be considered well-read, requires an immense amount of leisure time. The ancient Greek philosophers that exercised their enormous intelligence and great wisdom did almost nothing else. They wandered the streets of Athens, met together with students, discussed things, ate and slept, and that was about it. Who, while trying to deal with the demands of everyday life, has either the time or the energy left over at the end of the day to sit down now and digest weighty books. I have a room in our house we call the library. I've lined it with bookshelves for the children's books and my own. I'm embarrassed to say of the huge collection of books that I have there, I've read very few of them. And even more embarrassed to say that of the ones that I've read, I've already forgotten a portion, a good portion perhaps, of what I already read. So my friend outside of Christ who thinks you will somehow construct a ladder up to God to figure him out, who do you think you are? What do you figure you have? I realize now that I will never in all likelihood be particularly well-read in the classical definition of it. I realize, too, that some of the explanations of life 
I may be unable to understand. I'm limited by my own intelligence. But I've discovered something better than, than, than all of that. I've discovered something of, of, of greater worth than the world's libraries full of books, even if I was able to digest them all. I've discovered that in the back of everything, there is not a reason, but a person. Scientists would like to find a reason for everything, just so long as it's not a person. Just so long as it's not a personality. Just so long as it's not someone who's going to tell me what I need to do. They would rather have an abstract reason for things, even if that reason is chaos, than admit that in back of all of this, there may actually be a person standing there. A person who made all of these things because he loves us. A person who saw with sorrow as man chose his own way away from him, separating himself from him, and longed to be brought back into communion with that fallen creature. Those that acknowledge their blindness, acknowledge their inability To understand, to fully grasp these, these, these deep questions that the philosophers asked, they can be made to see. In fact, they will see. Jesus said they will. But those that figure that they're doing pretty well on their own, making their own way, discovering their own reasons, Jesus said you're going to die in blindness. That's the scary thing. To know that on the right hand of the Father, that lamb that looks like he was once slain, who carries in his body the marks of his woundings, is this same man that I read about that had time for a blind man who stooped down and took that clay of which we are ultimately all are made and used it to anoint his eyes told him to go wash. That man now stands on the right hand of the Father. You know, you can read the accounts from the prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah. Read about mysterious six-winged beings, about wheels within wheels covered with eyes, about a fiery stream that issues from the one who sits in fire, about a emerald rainbow that surrounds the throne about one we can't even look at. I mean, I'm simple. I, I'm a visual person. I have trouble with that. But to think in the middle of all of that, there's one form we will recognize. In the middle of that, we will see a man like us standing there who loved us. Live among us, to experience ridicule from.
from this puny creation and to make those who are born blind see. And that is the proof he offers to the world. Did you think about that? The ones who will tell the world I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I found. That's his proof. That's his proof to a skeptical, critical, mean-spirited world who thinks that they see things properly. The world is looking on. People will make many excuses why the reason we give is insufficient. Um, people will say, well, that worked for you, it couldn't really work for me. Uh, you're not as bad as I was, I'm a much worst person, you were always kind of a good kid, maybe. That's why our testimony is so important. That's why those who are part of the Assembly of God, the Church of God, it's important that we see all walks of life, all sorts of different backgrounds. And I'm, I'm thankful that in our church here in Toronto, even though it's not very large, we have quite a cross-section of different people that came from different backgrounds that saw different things and can testify of how they were blind and how the Lord brought them to light and made them see. And once they were able to see, there was nothing left to do but just to fall down and worship before Him as this man. That's the truth of the gospel. That is the sign that the world will see. We will be presented as evidence to them and they will have to make their decision whether they will ask themselves the question that the Pharisees asked at the end of the chapter. Are we blind also? If 
you can honestly ask yourself that question, you're on the right track. If you say you see, God can do nothing for you. You will keep searching for your reasons. Some kind of a guiding, unifying principle behind everything. Some explanation for morality. Some reason to explain why you feel the way you do. And you will miss the one who is walking among you. That's the real tragedy. Let's be witnesses for him. The Lord have reverence. Right, what we say. I hope I didn't come across as seeing anti-prophecy this afternoon. That was not my intent. I I am enjoying our look at the book of Revelation because, frankly, for the reason that I don't understand it, but it's good to compare scripture with scripture. But the thing that excites me the most about the prophecy is to know how it ends. And who will be standing there to welcome us? That, that is something the simplest saint of God can latch onto and delight in. I'm also thankful that the Lord saw fit to record for us the reasons like he did in Daniel. And I love the book of Daniel. I love the prophecies there because it gives us the explanation for what those things are. And I can say, ah, yes, I can see how the Lord is working in the path of history. Josephus' Antiquities is also on my list of books I would like to read before I die. More than just the excerpts that I've read. But think for a moment now about that blind man one last time. He was born blind. Had never seen. Put yourself in his shoes. How often do you think he thought about the Lord after that? To have not been able, not being able to see, and now to be able to see for the first time every new thing that he discovered, everything that was that was known only by touch and sound and 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 uh, smell, maybe now he sees the the, the physical reality of it. To see the color of the birds, to see what a flower really looks like, and all the, what all the fuss was about, to look at a sunset for the first time, and to bless again that teacher from Galilee that opened his eyes. That's what our life should be like when we look around at this. This twilight world that exists halfway between heaven and hell. Every little bit of good, every little bit of beauty that the Lord gives us here, we can admire and thank Him for. You don't see the blind man saying to Jesus, Well, you know, I've had a kind of rough day today. They just threw me out of the synagogue. My parents disowned me. The only skill I have is begging. What am I going to do from here on out? He just fell down at his feet at the one who gave him sight. And said, Lord, I never go back. 
I never go back to the darkness. I just want to worship you and be with you and see you. He may have lost everything. And <coughs> it was a closing thought. We'll leave it here. Ultimately, the only thing that any of us will have is God. For the believer. That thought should either delight us like nothing else, or it might make us afraid that we're going to somehow have to leave or lose things. That blind man didn't regret what he lost to gain that sight, to see the Lord. When we turn around and look at the rest of the world and maybe hanker after the things of the world, we've missed the point. We were blind. Now we see. That should be, he should be the one that fills our eyes. And with that reality, now every day can be a beautiful day. Every day can be an opportunity to see new wonder. And the world will look at us and say, is that the one that was born blind? How does he now see? What a difference we've seen in that one. And Christ, ultimately, will be glorified. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Who's our service?